Hi, I'm Victor Milligan. And I'm Jennifer Isabella. Your co-host for Forest Shirts podcast, What It Means. We're exploring the major changes in the market influencing executive priorities. Before we get into our podcast, we'd love to hear from you. If you can fill out a survey at for.com slash podcast, that's F-O-R-R.com slash podcast, we'd love to hear your thoughts on the show. And here with us today in the studio is Craig LeClaire, Vice President and Principal Analyst at Forrester to discuss robotics process automation or RPA. Welcome, Craig. Well, thank you. It's great to be here. Let's start with, like any acronym, what is RPA? Of course, you got the acronym right. It's Robotics Process Automation. Think of it as software that runs in a server that is targeted at replacing low-value human activity that is really working at a desktop. Uh, So think of back office, think of call centers, contact centers. Um, Think of work that a human is doing interacting with a keyboard. They're cutting and pasting. They're what we call swivel chair operations. They're opening up four or five apps and uh, basically doing things that you can build a bot uh, to replace. These would be like high repetition, low decisioning kind of tasks. Exactly. Uh, We like to say that the best processes to robotize in this way with RPA, um, it's the Leclerc three fives. It's uh, uh, tasks that have less than five decisions, that have less than 500 clicks, meaning keyboard interactions, um, and and, uh, access or involve less than five applications. Uh, Companies are finding... um, those simple processes in high transaction volume and are finding it's very, very cost effective to build a bot to do that. And this uh, lets humans do things that humans are much better at, like communicating with other humans. So let's get more specific. Can you provide us an example as to, you know, maybe uh, in insurance as an example where RPA is being used? Well, the, the uh, uh, initial targets uh, for RPA were uh, what I call business shared services. So they're the um, uh, areas and companies that every every company has. Mm-hmm. It's finance and accounting, it's HR, uh, it's supply chain, it's sourcing, it's procurement. So finance and accounting, for example, is a very ripe area. Uh, you have lots of people that are uh, closing the books quarterly and annually, and uh, they're doing a lot of, uh, you know, their, their heads are uh, buried in spreadsheets and they're cutting and pasting and they're doing data entry and so forth and they're updating a, an SAP or an Oracle backend at some point. So uh, building boss to do that has been a very ripe area, uh, but also in human resources. For a lot of organizations, they have uh, lots and lots of employees uh, that, that have shorter and shorter durations of time. So think the large pharmaceutical chain or the, or the grocery store. Uh, and the transactions, uh, the HR employees are really uh, consumed with uh, doing transactions uh, to calculate leave benefits and to, uh, to deal with uh, really kind of relatively simple math that a bot can do pretty easily. So when you, um, you know, put that in HR, when you put a series of bots that are handling 30 tasks that are repetitive, uh, guess what? The uh, employees can start thinking about talent management, you know, retention policies, how to make the workforce a, a higher customer experience. That same description that you just gave sat in a lot of PowerPoint decks building out BPO business cases, so business process outsourcing. It said, I have low value or commodity processes that are not my core to my business, and I'm going to outsource them to either onshore or offshore. So who is contemplating the robotization of this? Is this the the outsource providers because they're looking for margin gains, or is this just your sort of outsourcing digitally now. You're outsourcing to a digital workforce that happens to be a bot. 
Yeah, uh, that's that's a good way to, to think about it. Um, you're building a digital workforce, and you're you're not outsourcing it because uh, that digital workforce is going to be onshore, um, and they're going to be running software robotics uh, to be digital workers. And, and this is uh, how companies are thinking about this. Um, but to your point, it's it very much disrupts the uh, the basic business model that has built the tremendous offshore IT community. Um, that really this type of work was moved offshore uh, because it was repetitive, uh, because it was routine. Uh, and, and now uh, companies are faced with uh, the decision as to whether to continue that outsourced relationship or do they build a bot. Uh, if you have a bot uh, in, in India that's 20000 a year, well, you know, maybe I can build a bot that's $5,000 a year and move it onshore where I have more control. Um, and, of course, the uh, labor rates for the offshore community have been rising. And if you look at their numbers, which uh, Forrester does, uh, you know, they, they're, they're not, uh, for the first time in, in decades, um, you know, those uh, uh, large BPO companies are not uh, growing at the rates that they were. Certainly the 20, 30 percent days of growth are gone. Uh, and now they're getting, um, you know, uh, they're, they're being pushed to, uh, if they don't automate the processes themselves, uh, then it'll be brought on shore or one of their competitors will come in and robotize, happily robotize for them. So um, uh, some of them are just being asked, give me a plan to cut the 500 people I have in Bangalore uh, down to, uh, to 200 in the next 12 months. And they're having to build automation practices to, to do that. Uh, so it's, it's, it's a pressure point for, for that community. When I thought about this podcast, I, I sort of thought about a fork in the road. And I said, okay, one fork says I'm going to automate known processes. I'm not going to change them. I'm going to automate them for the reasons that you just described, which is primarily economic. The second one is, well, actually, what I really want to do is I want to transform so I don't automate something that is legacy or rigid or actually limits my ability to, to evolve later. So transformation would necessarily precede it. Where are we? Yeah, well, of course, I'm a big fan of Yogi Berra and his great wisdom. But uh, if there is a fork in the road, you should take it was his famous quote. But uh, in this case, you want to think hard about the fork because, you know, the talent of RPA is that it works through existing user interfaces and applications that are already resident on the desktop. So it avoids any modernization. You know, instead of having um, a more of a business process management approach where you're going in and building an as-is and a building a 2B and and then uh, building a roadmap, which might take uh, years and millions of dollars to get to, and for which the legacy systems may not have any business case to modernize at all. Uh, RPA lets you um, deal with some of the inefficiencies of those fragile systems uh, without doing any modernization at all. And that's why this pressure to digitize, which we've seen uh, in all of our surveys that corporations have moving to a digital business, and the gap between that uh, initiative and the realization of that is quite high. Uh, along comes this, you know, this RPA uh, uh, capability that allows them to show progress towards digitization and do things without any modernization. So the question you ask is, is that bad in some cases? Does that uh, institutionalize a bad process right. by creating bots? Does it keep you maybe from going to that uh, cloud environment that you should go to for greater flexibility and, uh, and so forth? Uh, because you're building bots that are attaching to a, a, a fragile on-premise solution. Uh, and the question is, in some cases, it does. 
So one of the key aspects of all of this that we advise our clients is uh, uh, to do a proper assessment uh, of what is a good process to robotize. And you may remember a few minutes ago, I talked about the three fives. Uh, that's one aspect. But another one is, is this a, um, an application area that really is best treated with other automation approaches that are higher level, more holistic, and more long-term in their ability to provide perhaps a better customer experience long-term? So is RPA simply a stepping stone to those more intelligent technologies that you're referring to, or is it a RPA plus those technologies? In, in, in some cases, it, it, uh, it is a stepping stone. Uh, it, uh, in some cases, you can absorb the uh, savings from putting RPA in and, and put that in a bucket that will allow you to, to modernize. Mm -hmm. uh, it, it's also a step uh, in the analytics uh, progression as well uh, because RPA, while it doesn't have any intelligence, no learning capability, no AI inherent, um, it is in the, it has wonderful linkages to more advanced understanding and intelligence. So it has the potential to sort of bring in AI and be something other, better, more intelligent kind of thing. Exactly. So you, you go back to the three fives, um, you know, the five decisions or less. Uh, if you have a lot more than that, the bot becomes too convoluted and, and too difficult to maintain. Um, so what if you externalize those decisions into a machine learning environment? So if you think of it as a digital worker, let's say you have somebody in your finance uh, back office um, that your bot has two decisions in it that they're doing. But let's say that in the, in the process, some are making 20 decisions and some workers are making 30 decisions. Well, you can use machine learning to uh, build a knowledge base for the process uh, and externalize the decision making. So the bot's still doing the keystrokes in the work, but they're able to leverage uh, the ability to handle more complex exceptions by having the decision-making externalized to machine learning. So that's one. So the machine learning is sort of like the brain and the bot begins to be the execution agent at that point in time. Right. It's just right. being told what to do. Right. Right now, RPA is just the arms. Yep. Right. And and you, the analytics bring in the head uh, as we go. And we're seeing a lot of progress uh, in the area of text analytics combining with RPA. And that's a, that's a piece we have coming out this quarter uh, that looks at uh, text analytics and RPA uh, and how, how that's really working. And Organizations still have a ton of unstructured content, right. documents, emails, uh, but RPA only works with structured data. It only works with uh, pristine fields. Uh, so the text analytics essentially goes in and rips through those documents, rips through the email, and creates a, a normalized set of data that then can give the bot uh, you know, intelligent actions to perform. So, Jen, you said two things. You, you brought up insurance as a possible example, and you brought up RPA+. Plus. Mm -hmm. So one of the ambitions... From, from underwriting standpoint, is to automate the back-end processes. One, for the economics that you just described. Two is, if I automate it, I ultimately get to move to a real-time posture and I get to bring in different kinds of data. So I get to look at risk on a real-time basis. And automation is always the assumed piece. Does that, does that mean that ultimately in areas like that where the business wants to transform it is RPA plus AI plus maybe business process engineering that there's a suite of things envisioned which RPA is the necessary component of, but it is a component of. Yeah, so I would, I would uh, say that's correct. Uh, we have a, uh, a major piece of research coming out this quarter on automation, uh, automation framework. Uh, and that puts this type of automation, RPA, in the context of 
an entire suite of automation that goes from um, you know, scripting in a core system uh, to business process management and workflow to, uh, to RPA with text analytics and then looks at uh, machine learning and deep learning and autonomous vehicle uh, direction and so forth. So um, we're encouraging uh, companies to take a broader vision about automation. Automation is becoming uh, the next great conversation in the tech industry. Uh, you know, it's, it's, um, it, it's going to be the way that companies create that next generation customer experience. It's not going to be with the mobile app. It's going to be with, um, you know, in, you know, in ingesting the, um, um, you know, omni-channel uh, interactions and being able to pull that into an environment to be able to understand what the customer is trying to accomplish, right? So automation is going to be absolutely uh, you know, essential um, to 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 organizations really. Uh, uh, you know their their progress. Uh, so it's very important to think of uh, aligning different automation types uh, to the uh, businesses use cases that are required, and having a way and a structure to do that. Our automation framework has uh, nine dimensions that help you do that. Now, these are, you know, think of, uh, you know, having a scale that you can uh, move a dial on, you know, and, and uh, from one to ten and say, well, this is um, the level of comprehension in this automation, the, the, the level of learning in, in the particular automation we're talking about, uh, which RPA has none, as I said, right? Here's a level of, de- 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 you know, is it more deterministic or less deterministic? Is it more transparent or opaque? You know, there's a big issue with as you move up the scale of automation that companies lose control. There's a level of unpredictability. There's a level of uh, training bias uh, that may be uh, an issue for data ingested into the more advanced automation. Uh, These are all um, aspects of particular types of automation that organizations need to understand, particularly uh, the technology groups to be able to help the businesses decide what level of automation they need. So it's sort of like a a portfolio of things I want to get done in context of automation. I may want to automate because I want to seriously advance my products and fundamentally change the way I go to market. And this is the example of insurance. Um, I may want to seek greater predictability and speed and efficiency. It might be the healthcare environment, Mm -hmm. which is some some of the administrative loading that goes in in that space. So it's a portfolio approach, which is I might I might want a simple RPA solution because I, I have known processes that I'm committed to, maybe from a regulatory standpoint, mm-hmm. and I have more far-reaching changes that I want to embark on. Yes. And RPA can play both roles. It's just what surrounds yep. it and how we, I think of it. We recommend there be three categories of automation projects that you have. You know, some are just efficiency plays at the lowest level, and RPA fits squarely in that. Uh, but there are those that you need for just maintaining competitive advantage that are semi-transformational, and there are those that are truly transformative uh, that might be taking pre-existing intellectual property in the company and repurposing it within a machine learning and an AI environment so that you're essentially, you know, uh, uh, you know, coding in the most dynamic way the core intellectual property of the company and building new services and revenue models against that. Uh, so, again, that more holistic view of automation allows you to um, you know, to have that central view as to what projects really can move the company and which ones are just uh, efficiency plays or competitive plays. So RPA is flexible, good, economically favorable, it sort of it, the, the, all the merits of a digital workforce. What are the cautionary tales? What are, what are the things that people should be thinking about saying, it's great, but I really don't want to do that? What's, yeah. what's that in that sentence? 
Yeah. Well, how, how long do we have? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what are the dangers of RPA? <laughs> well, there's a danger of, um, and we sort of hit upon some of these, right, but right. The, the big one is applying, trying to apply the shiny new object to processes that it's not really designed for, mm-hmm. you know, uh, making that bot with 90 decisions in it that's going to take six people to maintain. They violate the Leclerc 5. The Leclerc 5, yeah. yeah. That's, uh, that's good. Uh, yeah, so, uh, so, so that's a big gotcha. Uh, there's a host of new and interesting security uh, issues that are, are derived. You know, these are, um, you know, these bots have uh, human credentials. Uh, in fact, you know, some, uh, some companies, the only way they can get those credentials is to treat them like employees. So they, they register them to the human capital management system to get their credentials. Not a good way. But that's the way it's done. So Teddy the bot exists. So He's Teddy the bot exists. Car, his own right? badge, his own picture. So it goes without saying that having these credentials in the wrong hands. Right. Right. So you have to think from an enterprise architecture standpoint, how do you separate the test and the dev environments, for example, from the production environment so that no um, uh, human uh, that is uh, uh, not the right human is, is interacting with these credentials? Uh, to be able to uh, do nefarious things with them. Because uh, wow. these bots operate in the most trusted application boundaries that a company has. You know, if you're a, a global bank, these, are, these applications are, are right against the core systems. That's mm-hmm. where everything, all the good stuff is, right? So you have to worry about uh, what, you know, how to provision these credentials. You have to keep them in, you know, um, uh, you know secure encrypted vaults. Uh, you have to have this separation uh, so that you're, uh, developer in uh, Hyderabad is not playing with the real credentials, uh, or they're not building their own bots that are going there. Look like the they look like Teddy, but they're not Teddy. But they're exactly, doing other things. exactly. So there's a whole you know we we could talk for a long time about yeah. about that. They're not insurmountable, but they're they're new ones. They're they're different ways you have to think about it. So that's um, you know an area of concern uh, to clients that I speak with. Um, you know the third is in terms of the operating model for automation, and we do have a, uh, you know, quite a bit of research on operating models for RPA and for automation, uh, is just this is being led by the business. So the idea is that whoever knows the human process is the best one to design and build the digital worker that's replacing that. So Federation is a, uh, a, has a strong... Um, uh, momentum for uh, the operating model for this. So that means that the business has to have uh, design studios, they're called, and, and be building bots. So um, that introduces a lot of concern uh, because you... In-house, the, that firms have the skills to do, to build the bots in-house or that they're outsourcing the uh, bot it, building? That's a good question. Uh, you know, most of them are, are using uh, a third party solution okay. providers to yep. get started at least do yep. the proof of concepts and so forth. Um, so it's largely driven by, uh, by, by the integration and, and services community. Um, but technology management really needs a control framework. Um, and that's what we recommended a 10 point control framework to, to validate the viability of any bot built on the business to go into production. And a lot of companies don't have that yet. Um, you know, they don't have a way to do that security analysis to think about business continuity. Um, you know, this, you know, you're, you're getting rid of a hundred people, displacing them, moving them to new jobs, perhaps, or getting rid of some, um, and you're replacing that with software robotics. Uh, so, you know, if, you know, the, the bots don't work, uh, then you have no one to route that work to, <laughs> you right. know, so, 
it can uh, uh, prevent you from closing your books uh, at the end of a quarter, right? If you're doing it in finance and accounting. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's there, no backup bots. There, there's no backup. No pen bots. Right. No. Well, well, that's the issue of co- business continuity. You know, yeah. you need to have backup bots and backup control towers and backup, you know, you need to think, think it through just like the, you know, the, all the importance you put on that core system that has high availability, you need to think about having the consistent business continuity. So there are 10 points to this framework. You need coding standards because the programming depth in the business is not as strong as it is in tech, tech management or IT. So, so you don't want these spaghetti ball bots built that become, you know, uh, very difficult to maintain against applications that might be changing frequently. That's one of the issues, um, you know, of uh, this technology is that its, its talent is to work with existing UIs but those UIs change. Right. There's a reason we built APIs. Um, you know, APIs insulate you from application changes. <laughs> but uh, in the bot world, we don't use APIs. We build it directly against applications that have different levels of stability. So I've seen, um, again, it gets down to assessment. Um, am I building this bot against an application that might have too high a rate of change, that might have too much maintenance? Mm. So you have to think through the, you know, the total cost of ownership is not just a license for the bot. It's the license for the bot. It's plus the infrastructure costs, you know, plus uh, any maintenance costs, uh, you know, internally to keep the bots going. So you said, Craig, that there's different ways that you need to think about it, it being the digital workforce. And we've had several conversations here, Jen, where we talked about the robotics quotient where, you know, there's one level of, of human interaction, which is typically measured in EQ. And now in comes this idea that I need to learn how to work with robots. And this is just an example, which is they do what I tell them to do and no more, no less, and all the time. And I need to start thinking about how to work in that context. How ready are the enterprises in their entirety or the business people you just described sort of ready from a mindset perspective to think of, I'm now leading a digital workforce. So not ready at all is, is the simple answer. And uh, uh, J.P. Gounder has done some great work with the robotic quotient. Uh, and I think it's going to become a, a very uh, prominent uh, metric to understand what is going to be increasingly important, which is humans will be evaluated on their ability to work with robots. <laughs> you know, that'll be a, a measure of their um, value to a company. And I hope they are measured by other humans and not the robots because that's going <laughs> to yeah. go badly. Conflict of interest, maybe. Well, that's, yeah. uh, <laughs> that, brings, that brings us to hell. Yeah, yeah that, that, that brings us to, uh, you know, Elon Musk world of, yeah. uh, or Stephen Hawking's world. of. Uh, but the whole area of how do you introduce this type of technology into an organization how do you deal with the humans? You know, what, what's different about change management? Uh, one thing that's different, uh, and we have a long history of developing change management approaches. Uh, the Prosky model is, is probably the best known, but they assume one very important thing that isn't true with, uh, with automation as it's being uh, currently progressing. They assume that you know what the ultimate change is. So here are the seven things you do. When I know that, I'm going to outsource my payroll department. Right. All right? Uh, the issue here is that Automation, uh, particularly you know RPA plus as we talked about, has a learning and a comprehension capability. So you don't know how fast, and you don't know what the ultimate level of uh, decision and control will move to the machine. So you don't know what the change effect is on the humans. Yep. You know we we have this. Uh, I was trying to get on an airplane the other night, and um, the airplane was clearly had plenty of seats, 
but the rules uh, for letting me on that airplane without exorbitant change fees were so coded into the system that the poor flight uh, agent who wanted to help, wanted to help. There, there was no, it was in the airline's interest to put me on that plane because it was available and the one that I was actually on might have been oversold. So it was good for me and good for the airline, uh, yet they couldn't do it because the rules had been hard-coded into the system. Now, you can imagine that with all of this technology, the control, the decision-making is going to move even more from humans to machines. And that's going to create all kinds of issues. Uh, marginalization of the human, uh, you know, it's, it's, a, a, it's one of the forces of automation, we call it, that we're going to reach a level of scale, a level of control transference, um, and a level of um, <clears throat> just, you know, just not having uh, as much control as we've had of the of what's going on in these organizations that we've ever had before. So there are lots of issues uh, that we can talk about relative to change management. Yeah, but change management sort of brings up the word of dynamism. It's a dynamic world out there. And part of what you're painting is that RPA does well in a stable, known environment. The backdrop of that is, is that the environment, the market environment our clients live in is, is maybe known one day, but not the next day. It's a very dynamic environment. So really, you're looking at the idea that somebody is looking at the portfolio of RPA, the bots I put out there and saying, how often do I need to adjust what they're doing? Because I need to keep up with whether there are slight changes to the UI or slight changes to where the data exists to larger changes. I don't do it that way anymore. Uh, is is that implied in this model? Well, that I, I think that's less of a concern in this model um, because where RPA has the best fit are the systems that are really old and not changing very rapidly, do not support a business case for modernization. Um, going back to the airlines, um, the architecture they're using was pre-IBM mainframe from developed and designed in the 1950s. You know, and they have built layer upon layer upon layer of bolt-on functionality to deal with it. Um, you can be pretty safe that bots are going to operate in that environment in a fairly stable way. Uh, having said that, if you've just brought on all your, your new customer, customer experience solution in the latest domain-specific cloud platform uh, that, that, that you're embracing as the go-forward area to move those systems of insights and systems of engagement in, um, that's probably not the best place to build bots because that's going to be more rapidly changing. So, uh, again, think about where this technology is the most appropriate today, and that is in the most fragile and the most stable um, uh, systems that companies have. So I want to bring you to the topic of core competency. In a lot of industries, the entity that could operate in that, in that sector, banking, their core competency was they were a great bank. With the pressures of fintech, Amazon coming in, whatever it might be, now digital must be envisioned as a core competency. And RPA must fit, I imagine, fit into that calculus. So the mastery of RPA might be part and parcel of any industry. It's not a techno, it's not an enablement question. And I might actually be a core competency of my business conversation. Where does it fit into people's thinking of, of automation and RPA being an emerging thought process related to core competency? 
Well, it's very much so. Um, that's the only way you can explain the, um, the uh, market momentum that RPA has. Um, you know, we forecasted a $2.8 billion market for this in 2023, 22. Uh, it's exceeding that. Uh, the growth rate is exceeding that. And it started at about a $300 million market Wow! when we first put that report out a year and a half ago. Um, the core platforms are oversubscribed. Uh, there's a shortage of solution providers. This has become a um, very important technology uh, for, for companies to understand and to put into their toolkit uh, for attacking processes. And again, it gets to this sort of frustration with the larger modernization transformation efforts. You know, they've, they've gone out and hired chief digital officers that have gotten nothing done, you know, in the two years they've had them. So they, there's a tremendous hunger for uh, being able to show efficiencies, uh, being able to drive, uh, you, know, you know, revenue. Um, uh, this, the ROI for this technology is so easily seen. Um, it is right in front of you. Uh, and, you know, what you're going to do with those hours that you extract from the system, that it, it might be just cost takeout, but it might also be just uh, moving people to new higher value roles. Uh, but it's, uh, it, it's got a lot of, uh, you know, tailwinds. The a core principle of Forrester is, is sort of using digital to rally the business around the customer, essentially allowing our clients to be expert in digital, that, you know, some kind of digital transformation, digital business or digital yeah. first. I'm a business person, I'm a technical person, I'm listening to this podcast and I'm now contemplating a different role or a broader role of RPA for myself. What, what does it mean to me to start the journey or to accelerate the journey for RPA to heed the cautionary tales you described and take advantage of the tailwinds you just described mm -hmm. as well? Yeah, yeah. Well, it's, um, uh, it, it's got to be viewed with uh, excitement but also caution uh, and, and – uh, you know, it's got to be part of the expertise you need on your digital transformation journey, which, you know, is, you know, it's a small part of that. You know, the digital transformation has to be broader and more strategic. Uh, and, uh, you know, you have a lot of tools in your toolbox to help you get there. Uh, and RPA is just one of them. But that's where I go back to, you know, having a broader view of automation uh, one that allows, that has space uh, for all the different uh, tools that you need um, that extends to the far and most, uh, most far-reaching and capable uh, areas of, of, of automation. Um, you know, and to have that uh, sort of centrally led, uh, centrally understood and centrally communicated. Uh, that's what's really, really critical is to, is to get your organization thinking about how they can leverage this emerging technology, RPA being the least intelligent but important, but how can you leverage all of these automation technologies to get you to a more transformative business state? Uh, that, that's the key to being the real digital business we're talking about. You know, digital is everywhere. When you just talk about digital transformation, it, it becomes a little bit um, less interesting because everything's digital. We need to get rid of paper. We've been talking about that for 20, 30 years. Uh, what's exciting now is the ability to take automation to the next level. Uh, and, and see how that can really drive you to, you know, a new business uh, that is based on digital but is leveraging. The digital just allows you to uh, leverage more advanced automation. Right. So from a human-to-human -human perspective, Craig, thank you for your time today. <laughs> hey, you know what? Uh, I'm glad that uh, 
uh, we're not uh, being replaced right away for uh, you know uh, you know for all this. So. Not this podcast, yeah. <laughs> okay. Yes. <laughs> Thank you. If you like what you heard today, please subscribe to Forrester's What It Means podcast on iTunes, Google Play, SoundCloud, Stitcher, or TuneIn. And don't forget to leave us a review. To continue the conversation, follow Forrester on Twitter and LinkedIn. Thanks for listening.